And today we'll be talking about Beautiful Strange from the VHS Beautiful Strange, uh, recorded mid-1998 at Paisley Park and released on the 24th of August 1999. Uh, on the track you have Prince, Kirk Johnson, Mike Scott and Marva King. The track is 4 minutes 48 or 4.55 by the time it actually got released on Rave into the Joy Fantastic. Joining me to talk about today is Gina Radcliffe. Hello, Gina. Hello, Darren. Thank you for having me back. Now, um, this song it has a bit of a kind of tortuous journey because, like I said, it appears on the beautiful, strange um, VHS, um, which is basically Prince um, held this um, concert. Um, I think it was in London, I want to say. And... Um, you know, he he basically at, at this invitation only concert, he performed a number of songs off, his, you know, the most recent album, which he put out, which was uh, New Power Soul. Um, so you have, you know, Push It Up On There and you have uh, Mad Sex, I think, you know, um, then you also have some older songs like um, uh, Jam of the Year, which came out a couple of years before that. Um, and it finishes with Come On, which was the single that was released from New Power Soul. So obviously the purpose of this VHS uh, was to publicise the um, the album that was out at the time, which was New Power Soul. Unfortunately, it didn't get released until almost a year later. Um, now, the 24th of August 1999 is interesting because not only was this VHS released, but uh, Prince's album The Vault, Old Friends for Sale, was also released on the 24th of August 1999 by Warner Brothers um, under the name Prince. Um, so it was Warner Brothers trying to spoil the release of... Uh, Rave to the Joy Fantastic, which didn't get released until November that year. Um, yeah. So I guess Prince countered by putting out this VHS. Um, and during the interview, which is held between him and Mel B at Paisley Park, which is a sentence I can never, can never fully <laughs> understand saying. Um, and it's about 20 minutes. Um, I think on YouTube, a lot of people up upload it with the introduction for Beautiful Strange or the outro for Beautiful Strange, which rounds it out to about 25 minutes. Yeah, that's, um, the, that's the cut that I saw. And, and he's just yeah. casually he just casually hanging out in a studio. And like <laughs> he has his uh, his very 90s uh, cordless phone next to him. And I, I, yeah. I like the fact that Prince just answers his own phone, which is I, I find that <laughs> unlikely. that he, he wouldn't have someone on staff to just, you know, answer, yeah. his, answer his phone for him and bring it to him on a velvet pillow or something. It's funny because obviously that like the premise of the video is that Melanie B has shown up at Paisley Park and she's at the gate. So it's like, like why would they phone up to Prince to say, let her in? Surely <laughs> one of his many assistants would have been like, no, turn her away. Or yes, let her in. Like, I don't think it would have been Prince personally who would have had to make that call. But also they're expecting her. So like, why leave her waiting at the gate? Go and meet her from the airport or something. Like, this is probably her first and only time in Shanhassen. Don't just leave her wandering around this industrial <laughs> estate. I also, I also love, I also love how when they're they're interviewing, they're sitting in a room, and between them on the table is one of those fiber optic lamps that were a very you could get them at like Spencer Gifts, and and I don't know if this kind of tacky decor was uh, Prince's thing, but it's just this random, just kind of you know, fountain lamp just between them, just a little mood yeah. lighting. <laughs> yeah, and. 
during this interview, what the, the funniest, I mean, this interview, you know, it's mostly um, Prince flirting with Mel B for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, in in that setup, and then for some reason, they end up in a stairwell. Like, it's it's, re- it's just really weird. Like, for the last, like, five minutes of the, of the interview, they're in a stairwell, just kind of like, he's at, just, uh, Prince starts answering, like, kind of very simple questions at that point. But there's a part in the interview where, you know, they talk about record companies and... You know, obviously, Prince says record companies are really good if you're a new artist and you need the support and you need the, you know, distribution and all that kind of stuff. He goes, but, you know, at a certain point, they're just making money off you and, you know, they're just kind of using your creativity. And, you know, know, this is the most direct he's ever spoken about his battle with Warner Brothers. And it ends up on this VHS being interviewed with Mel B. It's just such a it's such a weird kind of thing. But, you know, he kind of at one point as well, he, you know, Mel B says, well, now you're selling stuff directly to your fans, which, you know, is a reference to, you know, 1-800-NEW-FUNK, which is both a phone line and also a website. And obviously, as they're talking, those phone lines and websites come up at the bottom. But the funniest thing is, is they talk about how once you've got the Internet, you don't need record companies because you can just sell stuff directly. And I guess that is kind of like 20 years later, because it's almost exactly 20 years since that interview took place. It's, it's still not completely true. Like, people still have... Rec- like, record companies didn't die out in, like, you know, as soon as iTunes was launched. Oh, but yeah, this, yeah. This I mean, in- they were saying that since... Uh, um, since LimeWire and... Um, what was the other... Uh, Kazan? The other, yeah, yeah where, where you could just download stuff for free and this was going to kill the record industry. It's like, no, the record industry is still doing all right. And not as great as it used to be. I mean, the funny thing is, is like, now you can sell, like, 500,000 albums and still be, like, the number one selling album of the month and yeah before you had to sell millions but it's still it's still kicking it's still alive yeah and the, the weirdest thing is this is pre-itunes like itunes wasn't until i think at least 2001 2002 right so you know and itunes was the thing that sold ipods basically was once people had itunes and you know they wanted a way to be able to listen to their music um you know while they were walking around once your music was on itunes the easiest way to do was to sync up your ipod and so, you know, like, this is before iTunes exists and before iPods were launched. And so this discussion is taking place where just the Internet has started to happen. But we're not at the point where there's anywhere where people can actually, like, purchase, um, you know, music. And so we're kind of in this weird in-between thing where Prince is like, yeah, if you go on my website, I will post you out a CD. <laughs> and somehow that seems to be the future that he's envisioning. Whereas, you know, the Internet obviously changed the way that music was distributed, but not in the way that Prince thought. So it's kind of interesting that he was half right in that, you know, the Internet would be a big thing, um, but not for placing orders for CDs to be no, posted. Out, no, 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 you no. Know, which is how he saw it. Although at the same time, Amazon is like, you know, the world's biggest company or whatever. And pretty much all they do is, you know, post stuff out once you click on it on, on the Internet. So I guess if Prince could have scaled up 1-800-NEW-FUNK, he probably could have been, you know, the new Jeff Bezos. But as it was... You know, he ended up and and this is this is taking place where he, you know, in a period where, you know, he just put out Emancipation and, you know, that was done through EMI. And then Crystal Ball, he this was what he posted to people. And it took months for him to get all the orders fulfilled and he had to organize his own, you know, CD printing and everything. And it was a nightmare. And so obviously, naturally, when you get to 1999, Prince goes back to a record company because he doesn't want to deal with all that nonsense. Like, you know, sending stuff out via the post was doing okay, and he was making a lot of money off it, you know, like, he was getting, you know, the story he tells is when, you know, Purple Rain sold, you know, 8 million copies, he was getting, like, 10% of that, and the record company was getting the rest. But when, you know, Emancipation sold, like, a million copies, 
you know, the, the deal was structured so that he got most of the money. And, you know, with something like Crystal Ball, he was sending that out through the post. He was getting like 99% of everything that was being sold there. So he was selling less, but he was making more. And, you know, that that's the argument that he kind of put forward as to, you know, in this video, he doesn't say that, but he said it in interviews around this time that, you know, if he sells something directly to the public, he can keep a lot more of the profit himself because he's getting rid of the middleman. I just, I just, uh, I just think it's while you're talking about this, I'm just kind of imagining him sitting in like a little room in Paisley Park with like a pile of envelopes and a pile of CDs and like a stamp that says "Thanks, Prince" and just like you know making a little uh, <laughs> conveyor belt of packing everything. When you know, of course, obviously he had an entire staff probably hired just to do his mailing and <laughs> and just you know like a little with like a little you know picture of himself. And he like you know kind of kisses it and puts it in the envelope and stuff like that. I think one of the issues that the Prince had and. Um, one of the reasons why he went back to like you know a record company for his next release was that he did kind of do it himself and it, oh, wow and it did really? take, that's hilarious and it, it, not 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 personally but like he ha- he he didn't have like a huge staff he only had like two or three people who did it and it took like people put orders in in you know July the fourth nineteen ninety seven I think it was and most of those orders didn't get fulfilled until almost a year later um, and some people's credit cards were charged five times and. You know, it like by the t- by the time a lot of people got their copy from Prince, it was already in record stores because Prince had then cut a deal with record stores because it was turning into such a nightmare for him to actually get stuff out that way. Um, so I don't know if he was actually putting them in envelopes himself, but it was very much like a two bit operation. Um, so, you know, that's I mean, you know, obviously the kind of the chemistry between Mel B and Prince you know, which I feel is basically between Prince and, and any like heterosexual woman who was within his, you know, his radar. Um, it's interesting to watch because you can see Prince kind of occasionally he'll give kind of like non answers and he'll be very coy. And you can see that Melboy B just keeps kind of leaning in, being like kind of being intrigued by Prince, even when she's sitting in the room with Prince. And, you know, obviously that I feel is kind of you know, that's why he was a superstar is because even when he's sitting there answering questions, you still have no idea what's going on. And, you know, he's kind of very mysterious. And then they end up in a stairwell. And I don't know what was going on with that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the video essentially was just there to try and counteract the fact that, you know, Warner Brothers were themselves trying to spoil the release of Rave to the Joy Fantastic. You know, this this is kind of the end of the battle with Warner's really. Like 1999 was like the final year where this kind of stuff happened. And then, you know, Prince and Warner Brothers kind of but yeah, and then you know, like some of the some of the songs that are on you know on that that VHS, you know, they they appeared on other projects. Um, you know, there were a few that were kind of covers of stuff, but most of them were kind of shorter versions of the songs anyway. Um, I think apart from uh, "Don't Talk to Strangers," which was like the full song, but everything else was like shorter versions. Um, and there was two versions of Come On, which is kind of ridiculous because that's not a great song. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's a seven minute version and there's like a five minute like studio version. So it's like, Prince, I feel like you're really, you know, you're really trying to exploit people here a little bit. I was going to say, um, Prince but, being know. self-indulgent? What? <laughs> <laughs> so officially, you know, this this track was released on the 29th of August, 1999. But it then... It wasn't on Rave and To The Joy Fantastic, the album. So the next album that came out, the Prince released, you know, 9th of November 1999, it didn't have this song on. This was, you know, which is kind of weird because this is a song that effectively had the most publicity going into this album. So you would have thought Prince would have put it on there, but he didn't. Um, Instead, he left it off. But then two years after releasing that, he released a remix album called Rave Into The Joy Fantastic. 
and then this was on that album. <laughs> so it's a kind of really weird kind of, it took like three years for it to actually kind of get released. Um, but then the rest of Raven 2 is is remixes of like other songs from the album, basically from, from Raven 2. So it's, I don't know, it's, it, it's just one of those weird things where I think, you know, Prince's deal with Arista, he was really trying to kind of, you know, um, kind of help them out. Um, and also at the same time, you know, he launched the MPG Music Club around the same time. And, you know, that was given away as, you know, an album as, as part of that subscription. So it was like, you know, it was almost like trying to entice people to sign up for, you know, uh, re you know, for the MPG Music Club by giving them this remix album. It's like the first big album that they would get. Um, and so obviously, you know, adding Beautiful Strange in there. I, you know, I guess if you were a fan, if you were enough of a fan to pay, I think it was like $120 a year or something to be a member of MPG Music Club, then I guess you would have known about Beautiful Strange and you would have wanted to kind of have it on an album. So maybe that would have enticed you. It's such a weird kind of thing. And then the fact that Mel B is the interviewer, I can still, like even now, I can like it's just such a weird thing. So like I understand that, you know, the Spice Girls were like at the height of their popularity kind of yeah this time yeah she's not a she's not a natural interviewer though so i mean which is which is which is you know it's it's to, to be fair it's 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 a skill that you know i'm not i have had opportunities to interview people and i'm like no i just i can't do that i don't think i can come up with you know enough interesting questions or at least interesting questions that they haven't heard ten thousand times before and then i think he obviously knows that she's this that this is not a thing that comes naturally to her and you know which is probably why he sort of leans into the Prince persona a little bit of, you know, being a little, you know, oblique in some of his questions and, and being kind of being overly flirty as is, you know, in his body language and the way he speaks and all. And, you know, I think that he's definitely having a little self-aware fun with her because of this. And interestingly enough, um, you know, in 1999, Madonna released a song called Beautiful Stranger. And um, during one, because Prince had uh, like uh, weekly uh, Q&A sessions, uh, you know, through the, the MPG Music Club. And um, on the question of the week, after that song got released, um, you know, someone asked, you know, Prince's thoughts on this. And, um, and, and I also asked about when If Beautiful Strange might be released. You know, Prince obviously kind of gave his response about that. And then he said, and tell that girl to stop stealing my titles, which I thought was kind of funny because it's like, I don't, I don't think I don't know that Madonna would have heard the song Beautiful Strange because it was just at that point on a VHS. And I don't I don't imagine Madonna sitting down and being like, oh, let me watch this Mel B Prince interview. Like it just doesn't strike me as a thing that she would have been doing. Um, but, you know, I, the two of them like worked together in, you know, 1989. So, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, that obviously that they kind of had songs around the same time with roughly the same title is, is quite interesting. I, you know, not that Beautiful Strange is anything to like Beautiful Stranger. <laughs> like, it is such a completely different song to Beautiful Stranger, um, you know. And like you say on the video, you see Prince just sitting in the, you know, sitting in the studio, listening to the playback of the track and playing guitar over the top of it. And, you know, for a genre, I'm not quite sure what to say because, you know, I feel like that guitar noodling pretty much sums up what the song is. You know, it's... It's kind of Prince saying the words beautiful, strange, you know, strangely beautiful, beautiful, strange, like a few times. And, you know, in there he has some, I mean, there's, you know, two kind of very short verses. Uh, there's no like real chorus. Like, it, like it feels like a very kind of formless song. Um, yeah. You know, there's, the, it's the, the guitar kind of comes in here and there and it, it just kind of keeps going along. <laughs> it doesn't really... 
like reach a climax or anything. It's I don't know. It's it's a very odd song. Well, speaking about reaching climax, it does have it does seem like a little bit like a song he intended to be played as background music for for getting it on. I'm just like I'm like oh okay, it's a very Prince pastiche kind of you know a little you know spicy R and B going on there and and you know it, but again this is also something he could have written in his sleep too. You know obviously once we get to you know once I get to talking about rave you know I feel I'll, I'll make my feelings clear on most of the tracks about how I feel about them but you know the the thing that happened to Prince in the late 90s is he he seemed to even though this has band members on obviously on the video we just see Prince by himself in the studio but this kind this it seems to be this very kind of like claustrophobic feel to Prince songs um, around this time and it, as if it's just Prince kind of in the studio relentlessly just recording over and over on the same things um, which is, you know, kind of understandable because, you know, this is around the time that his marriage with Maite kind of fell apart. So, you know, the fact that he then decided to kind of retreat to the studio makes sense. Um, but it just means that a lot of the songs feel like kind of demos. They don't feel like he's really fully kind of polished them like this. This has kind of like two verses, I guess you could call them that. <laughs> and, you know, a little bit of like a guitar solo. And then, you know, you kind of get, you know, an outro and then that's it. Like. You know, the the kind of the, the phrase beautiful strange is said at the very beginning. Um, and then, you know, later on, he, you know, he says stuff like, um, you know, uh, in, you know, that's what we said instead of the name. If you took the times, he took all the blame. Would you find a reason behind the game? It's like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's just very, it's kind of rambly and off the top of his head and all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, he has an interesting turn of phrase where he says, in the darkness, we almost look for the way words so strange. And it's like, OK, I mean, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but then he's like, you know, if it makes no mind, what color or holy day? And it's like, OK, you know, why is this game the only one we play? Like, you know, it's just I don't know. And then like the kind of the final two lines where he says the sun is like the diamond inside the coal, like an embryo. It grows and grows. I'm like. I have no idea what you're talking about here, Prince. <laughs> you like very much completely lost me. Um, but yeah, I like it's it's really weird because for a song that effectively kind of took three years to get onto an album, you would have expected maybe it would have been something you know a bit more kind of um, sought after or interesting. But as it is, like you say, it does it does sound a lot like background music. Um, and there you know there are a few tracks from around this time where Prince does seem to kind of veer slightly into like the wallpaper music type thing of just stuff that kind of could be just on in the background right um and especially like the vocals on this are very kind of like one note there's not really that much of like there's no real kind of texture to it it's just kind of him singing stuff at kind of roughly the same level and there's no it doesn't really feel like anything you know like it just feels like him messing with his guitar and then just kind of singing some nonsense over the top and then the song finishes and you're like Okay, I guess that was a song. <laughs> dot dot dot. Um, yeah, and like I, I, you know, it's what's weird is this is a song that Prince performed quite regularly from you know, two thousand two through to like two thousand fourteen. He would perform this on tour quite a lot. So he, so he um, liked it, obviously. Yeah. So, but I think that's because because it is so formless. I think it just gives him the opportunity to kind of improvise around it, or you know, other members of the band to improvise around it, and just kind of. So I feel like that's that's why he he kind of performed it a lot, um, but I don't know. Like to me, it's such an odd song, 
Um, you know, and it's not it's not even really a song that, you know, I've heard until kind of, you know, I really started doing this project because, you know, then I started looking for all the various Prince songs that were out there um, that maybe I hadn't heard. And I never bought Raven to the Joy Fantastic because it was only available on mail order. And so, and so, you know, it's never been commercially available since. I mean, maybe with the, you know, the re-release of a number of albums that the, uh, you know, the... It's on, it is on, I think it is on Spotify. Um, it might be now because they yeah. literally just put like, you know, 13 albums onto Spotify yeah. recently, haven't they? So, um, but yeah, I like to me, I, I, it's hard to grade it because it doesn't really feel like Prince is putting that much effort into it. So it's like... You know, I don't want to give it too low of a mark because it's not terrible. Yeah, it's not a bad time, song. It's just, you know, it's just not really anything. It, it kind of just him noodling around and, you know, experimenting with lyrics and all. Yeah, so, I mean, I would I, for the whole project, I would say the like the interview is more interesting than the song that kind of gets the name for that, that kind of VHS. Yeah. So I would say for me, three out of five. Yeah, that would be a, yeah, that was when I was thinking earlier, how would I get yeah, the three, three out of five would be, would, would be accurate. Yeah, because... Like I say, it's just one. It's just one of those odd things where it has such a weird kind of you know long history of being on this thing and then released hit then and then you know put onto this album and like it it just feels like for a song that was kind of batted around so much you would expect that by the time you hear it you're like oh I can understand why Prince like saved this one and but instead you're just like I don't know why Prince saved this song <laughs> he could have he could have just left it on that VHS and I think people would have been more than content. Um, you know, but at the same time, you know, you, you do get to say the sentence Prince was interviewed by Mel B from the Spice Girls. And, you know, and during that interview as well, he proposes that, you know, he will co- he will do a cover of Wannabe. And I, <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like we're all the worse off and never he- have heard that song, you know, actually come to fruition. Um, and, and he also and he also suggests that he might be interested in doing a sex tape with Mel B. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, who's to say that didn't? Happen? That's true. Um, That's true. We we don't know. You know. We we don't know. <laughs> so I feel like we said about as much as we can about Beautiful Strange. So let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug, Gene? I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we talk about slasher movies uh, according to the victims and how they are killed off. Uh, we are right in the middle, as I record this, of actually doing a bonus series on um, 1985's Commando, which is not technically a slasher movie it just sort of looks like one um and then we're, we're going to be doing the starting on the remake of friday the 13th uh i also write about um movies and pop culture and old television uh on my website at GinaRadcliffe.com. and you can find us on facebook at prince track by track or on twitter at prince podcast or you can email us not sure why you would unless of course you are melanie b then by all means do email at princetrackbytrack at gmail.com. Thanks once more for being my guest, Eugene. Thank you. And otherwise, goodbye. Yeah. 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 Yeah.